0: This April, The Device Podcast is kicking off our first season taking a closer look at Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut Jr. and the mysterious polymorph Ice Nine. What would happen if all the oceans froze? Vonnegut makes some predictions, which we discuss with Alex Tardy of the National Weather Service and some of the bright, upcoming minds of the Scripps Institute of Oceanography. The Device Podcast, your
1: monthly book club with a science-based twist. Coming this April. I think everyone has a primary sense. So for some people, they respond better to a visual image. Some people respond better to sound. Some people respond better to smell. So all my life, in retrospect, I've been more of a visual person. My sight is just how I relate to the world.
0: Welcome to My First Day. I'm Andrew Bracken. The road to becoming a doctor is filled with several years of arduous study and focus. Along the way, the decision as to what type of medicine to choose comes with huge implications on a doctor's life and career. For Shira Robbins, finding the right path for her took a little longer than many. Here's Dr. Shira Robbins with her story of.
1: My first day. Most people that I've run into tell me that they thought that they wanted to be doctors since they were little kids. That is not my story. I never had this expectation of becoming a physician or a surgeon. I went through a lot of different stages, I wanted to be a clown at one point, I wanted to be a veterinarian, I wanted to be a chef, all kinds of things, but not a doctor. And when I was in college at Hampshire College in Western Massachusetts, I discovered scientists there who were really passionate about what they were teaching and it was the first time that I had encountered scientists who were so passionate. At that point I was really exposed to what I would call robust science and I decided that that was the direction that I wanted to go in. My first job out of college was in molecular oncology research which was essentially genetic research in its early form. And I did that for several years until my boss, who was the principal investigator of my laboratory, came to me one day and he suggested that I go to medical school. And I was very perplexed because I really enjoyed doing the scientific research. It was straight lab bench research. We were answering, trying to answer very basic questions about genetics and bladder cancer at that time. And so I was very confused when he came to me and said this, and I asked him why, and he said, well, I have never seen a scientist come in and sing at their laboratory station and talk to their test tubes, and it's very clear to me that you are a people person. (laughs) And so I, I segued into people science and people medicine. I had a little bit different experience of getting into medical school than many. Since I had taken organic chemistry without general chemistry and done fine with it, I decided to take the MCAT without my general chemistry also, which was a major component of the MCAT. And then just sort of studied out of a book. I just spent a lot of days in coffee shops reading and reading and reading more and did my best. And I did, <laughs> I did well on my MCATs. So I actually gained admission to medical schools prior to taking all of the uh, prerequisites. And so the admissions that I got were contingent that I had to take general chemistry. I did that, and I went to University of Pennsylvania at night school and took my general chemistry amongst people who were had not yet taken their MCATs, and so there was a very different mindset. They were very nervous about the process because they realized that their grade was going to have a large impact on their admission process. I had already been admitted, so for me, it was just an, a really great way to learn because I could just listen, take my exams, and just take it all in without having the stress of what the consequence of the grade was going to be. So... Once I got into medical school, I think I was definitely a little less stressed. I had been uh, what they called an older student because I had had a first career for four years. They called me an older, non-traditional student during my interviews. And I told them that although I didn't mind the label, non-traditional, I didn't particularly like being called older when I was still in my 20s.
0: Shira's status as being non-traditional set her apart from many of her classmates, who never took a break in their schooling.
1: From their perspective, they feel that anything going off that straight track of being as expedient as possible to the end goal is a negative and a weakness, so to speak. I view that as a strength because I feel like all of the other outside experiences give you a different perspective that you can then bring to your final goal and also show you whether or not that final goal is truly what you want. Because I think it's such a shame when people go through all of this training and then find at the end, because they haven't really carefully thought about what that end goal is, that they don't particularly want it.
0: Did you like med- medical school?
1: I did like it. I really enjoy learning. Uh, almost anything, I enjoy learning. So, And having had a first career for those four years, working 9 to 5, the luxury of being able to sit in a classroom for eight hours a day and learn and then go home and study, I realized that since I only had to focus on that one thing of just filling my brain with medical knowledge, that unto itself was a luxury. At that point, I wasn't a mother. I wasn't a wife. So I was lucky that I could just focus on that one thing. I think there's very few instances in life where we can just focus on one thing. So first two years, you sit in classrooms, listen to lectures, take tests, see a couple of patients, but not not really. And then third year is really when they jump you into the hospital and you're on service. And it was all patient-based care after that. My very first clinical rotation, I started off strong. I just hit the ground running because they put me in trauma surgery. Trauma surgery is like the most hours, the most adrenaline, the most everything. And it was... Old school. I trained before we had all these hour-limiting rules. Now, so I mean, I was truly working—you know, 120 hours a week. There was nobody looking over my shoulder to make sure that I was getting sleep or I was going home or anything like that. And it was so exciting. I remember waking up at three in the morning because. We rounded at 5 in the morning. I had to see all my patients before then, get all my data before then, and then we would round on the surgical patients for the day, see the pre-ops, the post-ops. It was a lot. And then we'd operate all day long. It was trauma. So we would, in the midst of all of this, we would be constantly being called to the emergency room to take care of new patients that came in for trauma service. So it was an amazing way to start medicine. You know, I think going into trauma surgery first really made me think about surgery for the very first time. I hadn't thought about it at all, but it was exciting being in the operating room. We could really change things and change them quickly, and I found myself in between patients just sitting there, and I would always have some extra suture, and I would just, I'd be practicing tying my surgical knots constantly. It was just uh, a door opening there.
0: Nearing the end of her third year in medical school meant Shira needed to apply to residency programs. The problem, though, was she still didn't know what she wanted to specialize in, and time was running
1: out. At the end of my third year of medical school, you're supposed to know exactly what you want to go into. In fact, oftentimes you're supposed to know from day one of medical school what you want to go into. So I thought maybe ophthalmology, but I wasn't sure because I It's a surgical subspecialty, and I had never seen a single eye surgery. So I was very fortunate, and I managed to land an ophthalmology rotation. And there was a lot riding on this, because if I didn't like it, then I was going to have to choose another field. I had to be applying a couple of weeks after that. So I was definitely uh, feeling a little keyed up going into it, realizing that it was going to dictate what path I went into.
0: How long has it been since you saw something new in San Diego for the very first time? Well, Hornblower Cruises and Events wants to make that happen for you because you listen to the show. As a listener, Hornblower is offering a $5 discount when you use promo code MFD5D. You can have your own first day on the water exploring beautiful San Diego. Departure info is at hornblower.com. Make your own first day. And again, just use promo code MFD5D when you buy tickets. She restarted her ophthalmology rotation in the operating room early in the morning, with a lot on the line.
1: I was paired with an incredibly skilled cataract surgeon my very first day of that rotation. And I still remember him. He was a very tall, thin, gregarious man. He was always laughing with his patients. But it was almost like this magical environment walking into that room. And I was just an observer. I wasn't doing anything. Just putting my face up to the microscope, looking through the oculars and seeing what he was seeing as he operated. I had been involved in a lot of big surgeries, big belly surgeries where we were taking gunshots out of somebody's stomach or taking out an appendix or doing brain surgery. I had done, assisted in very, very big surgeries. This was a microsurgery. It's more exacting in many ways. It was such a delicate surgical maneuver. It was beautiful. It was just beautiful to watch. You know, every little millimeter counted. And every little millimeter, the surgeon was so highly trained to move that blade in a specific angle, the specific depth, to get just the right amount of tissue. Some of these maneuvers only go through a couple of cell layers thick. At that time, with the technology then, the cataract surgery maybe lasted 8, 10 minutes. But from the very first incision into the eye, it was like my heart stopped. I could just tell. It was the most amazing thing I had ever seen, watching that cataract surgery. And I just felt, I need to learn how to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this for the rest of my career. I want to help people like this.
0: With her mind now made up, Shear applied to an ophthalmology residency in Philadelphia and was accepted. As if specializing in ophthalmology was not enough, Shear looked to find the right subspecialty for her within the field to gain yet more expertise.
1: I had this night in the hospital where I was on my pediatric ophthalmology rotation, and I was called by a nurse to come up to a patient floor because she was having a problem. And I went up to the floor in the middle of the night, and what I found was this little boy, he was probably about six or seven, and he just a couple days earlier had had a stroke unfortunately had the disease, sickle cell anemia. And this disease led to a stroke. And he was recovering from his stroke in the hospital. And what he was doing that the nurse was so upset about was that he was trying to be a kid. He just wanted to play and have fun. So he took his IV pole that he was attached to, and he took it to the middle of the hallway and the hospital floor he was on. And he would run next to it, and then he would jump on top of the IV pole and take it for a ride down the middle of the hallway, just having fun, right, like any 6- or 7-year-old would want to do. But this was in the middle of the night. There were a lot of other kid patients sleeping, and the nurse kept telling him to go back to bed, and he kept ignoring her. And so she woke me up to take care of my patient. And I saw it and I was completely amazed because literally two days earlier, this boy could not walk. And here he was running down the hallway and playing. It was amazing to see. And I understood that the nurse was trying to do her job, but I also understood what was going on for him was that he was excited just to be moving again and in control of his body. So I leaned over to him and I told him, okay, just one more run down the hallway and then you got to promise me you would go to bed. And he said, okay, doc. And that's what he did. And the nurse was very mad at me, (laughs) but we got him back in bed, and we kept all the other patients asleep. And at that moment, I just realized the resilience of kids, and something just clicked in me, and I just viewed pediatrics different from that moment on. I'm married now i got married in my residency and my husband has been absolutely key to my professional success in that after we had children he really took up the reins and is the primary parent i call myself the cameo parent i love being with my kids i have two wonderful girls i do work a lot Uh, For instance, last Friday night, I was operating till 9 o'clock at night because there was a little baby that was born early, and uh, if I didn't do that surgery, they would have gone blind. They would have gone blind even before they were discharged from the hospital after birth. So my kids know that if I'm not with them, I'm usually helping another child or another patient, and that helps them to sort of buffer the difficulty of not having me around. But I hope also that my active career lifestyle serves as a role model for them. Surgery has definitely been predominantly a male field. And when I was training, there were very few female surgeons that I trained with. And so that was sort of another hurdle because to see myself in that role, even after I Graduated from medical school, went through my residency, my fellowship, and I was trained, and I was a practicing surgeon. Still, it took another, like, 10 years before I had a certain segment of the population that would stop assuming that I was the nurse because of my gender. So it was a real thing. It's, it's not as common now, perhaps because I'm older, <laughs> and uh, somehow being older maybe doesn't make me look quite like a nurse anymore, I'm not sure. But um, I never get that anymore. Now, the surgical field is very different. There are a lot of women going into surgery. And I feel like from the time when I trained in medicine till now, it's enormously different. The profile was varied, but definitely that high level of confidence was in every surgeon that I saw. And if you think about it, a surgeon has to have the ability to communicate with patient and their family. And very quickly instill confidence to the point where that patient and their family are willing to give control to the surgeon to allow that surgeon to cut into the body of themselves or their family members. It's a big, big responsibility and one that I take very seriously. I think it's something that I had that I was unaware of and that I developed more and more to this day. And it's still evolving and I think that part of that starts with your parents, the friends that you choose, the environments that you're in. But perhaps part of that is also just inborn. I know my kids, I have two children, and I swear the personalities they were birthed with, they come out of the hopper as babies. They still have the same personalities. So I think it's a combination. But I, certainly for me, it was a process of discovering that that part was in me. I think everyone has a primary sense. So for some people, they respond better to a visual image. Some people respond better to sound. Some people respond better to smell. All my life, in retrospect, I've been more of a visual person. My sight is just how I relate to the world. So when I found a field where that was the center, intellectually made a lot of sense to me. From an emotional perspective, it made a lot of sense to me. And I don't even feel like it was a conscious choice or a conscious decision. It was almost like so overwhelming that ophthalmology chose me.
0: Today, Dr. Shira Robbins is a renowned pediatric ophthalmologist and professor at the Shiley Eye Institute at the University of California, San Diego. You can find more from Dr. Robbins on our Instagram at My First Day Stories. Our email, MyFirstDayStories at gmail.com. My First Day is produced by me, Andrew Bracken, with additional help from Melissa Diaz. Music by Chris Curtis. Support for this program comes from the KPBS Explore Local Content Fund, supporting new ideas and programs for San Diego. For KPBS, Melanie Drogseth is Programming Coordinator. Nate John is Innovation Specialist. Jill Linder is Programming Manager. Lisa Jane Morissette is Operations Manager. And John Decker is Director of Programming. Thanks again for listening.